Uh, We're reading Psalm 52. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long? You who are a disgrace in the eyes of God, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You who practice deceit. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. Selah. You love every harmful word, O you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at him, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love, and ever, forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. We're on? Oh, hello, there we are. All good. So, Psalm 52. Today is the last of our three-part mini-series in the Psalms. Not really a summer in the Psalms at the moment, a bit of a winter in the Psalms, but that's all good. Two weeks ago, Eddie took us through Psalm 51, which was a song of confession. Last week, Julian took us through Psalm 53, which was a song of discerning, and this week... We've gone back one to Psalm 52, a song of confidence. Now it's important when we're looking at a psalm or a song to understand what prompted it. While psalms are part of God's word, it's also important for us to remember that these are man's words to God. Words of praise, words of thanksgiving, lament, sorrow, songs which are penned to God. What was happening to rouse the author into action, to pick up the pen and to write this psalm to God? That's our backstory. Most songs have good backstories, and I'm sure you can think of many that you know. For example, the classic children's nursery rhyme of Mary, Mary, Quite Contrary from 1744, while a very English popular nursery rhyme, it reads like it's giving us gardening advice when it's actually the recounting of a homicidal nature of Queen Mary I. Not really what you want to sing to your children when they're going to sleep, if they know the backstory that is. Her reign as Queen from 1553 to 1558 was marked by the execution of hundreds of Protestants. Silver bells and cockle shells, while they sound pretty, are actually Items of torture, not garden ornaments. See, when we understand the backstory, it kind of puts a whole new light on the song and can help us to understand the situation, to understand the motivation which leads to the author penning the lyrics. And it's very helpful. In this particular psalm, we're actually given some information 
about the backstory, which helps us. The caution here, however, is that we don't just focus on the backstory. The caution for me in preparing was to make sure that I'm not actually preaching 1 Samuel chapter 22, but I am actually preaching Psalm 52. 1 Samuel 22 is the backstory to this psalm. Now, in-laws are often talked about. Many of us have them. Many of us may have struggles with our in-laws because apparently there seems to be an unwritten law that you're not meant to get on with your in-law. But uh, I can't speak for everyone, but for myself this is not true at all. And My mother-in-law isn't even here. I love my mother-in-law deeply and I get on well with my father-in-law. But David, he had some issues with his father-in-law, King Saul. It would be fair to say that there were some tensions in that relationship. A fairly clear sign of that would be when Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear. Uh, So David escaped. Jonathan, David's brother-in-law, tried to help, but he also copped the spear treatment as well. Again, David escaped. This time he fled to the sanctuary of a priest. You see, David was on the run. He was seeking out food, he was seeking out weapons for protection and he lied to the priest about what he was doing there. Now the priest, he listened to David. Uh, He actually fed him and furnished him with a weapon. Interestingly, it was Goliath's own sword which David had got after defeating Goliath. Now the priest prayed for him But there was another who was there who witnessed this interaction and that was Doag the Edomite. Now I've been calling him Doug just because I know I can pronounce that correctly. This psalm is about Doug and Dave. It's got a real Aussie ring to it, doesn't it? A psalm about Doug and Dave. The danger being that the only thing you remember from this morning is that Jeff spoke about Doug and Dave. Hopefully we remember more than that. Now there's not a lot recorded in the Bible for us about Doug except his appearance in 1 Samuel gets a fairly good Guernsey and once again here in Psalm 52. Anyway, Doug was there and he heard this interaction. He witnessed this interaction between David and the priest. Now the priest here had done absolutely nothing wrong but that information that Doug had witnessed he used later on. Remember, David was the one who had actually acted wrongly in lying. He was not truthful. He was not truthful because he was trying to protect himself. But the priest had done nothing wrong. He was an innocent man. And because of what Doug had heard and what he then shared with King Saul, the innocent priest died. But not only the priest 85 priests were killed by Doug. Because the priest that helped David escape, he copped this wrath from King Saul through Doug. What an injustice! 85 priests are killed. But not only the priests, their families, their households, their animals, the entire town of Nod was destroyed led by Doug. Saul ordered that this was to happen and Doug followed that order. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear stories like this, I just think it's not fair. It's wrong. This innocent man who had done nothing wrong, these innocent men, these priests, were murdered. It's just wrong. I get angry. I get upset. Now, David, he was angry as well, and we see that in this psalm. This is the backstory to this psalm. David was angry. He was angry at Saul. He was angry at Doug. He was even angry at himself. We can see that from some other psalms. This backdrop helps us to understand more of this psalm. A psalm, a song of anger, but also one of confidence. As we read through this psalm, two characters jump out at us. In the psalm, they're referred to as you and I. Now, while we can be quite certain that the I being referred to here is David, there is debate among scholars as to whether the you being referred to is Doug or King Saul or a mixture of both or perhaps even David himself. Now, when we come up with questions like this when looking at Scripture, we need to ask ourselves, is this debate actually important? And for the purposes of our study here this morning, no, it's not. But what we're going to do is we're not going to be distracted by that. We're going to focus on the clear purpose of this message, being going with the most accepted common view that David is speaking about himself and Doug, speaking about wicked and righteous. What is clear is this is a song of confident contrast. Contrast between the wicked, arrogant, self-serving, Doug, the righteous, God-serving, David. So we're going to look at Doug and Dave. You have your notes there if you'd like to make some notes about Doug and Dave as we go and where their confidence is found. Now songs use pictures and phrases, they use exaggeration, repetition, a variety of literary devices to convey meaning and to give emphasis. The psalm starts with the emphasis on boasting. This is done through the words of boasting of a mighty man. Interestingly, the phrase here, mighty man, is actually a military term. Now, Doug was the head shepherd, not a military man. He took down 85 priests, men who have never been trained in battle, uh, men who would never have fought anyone at all, men with no weapons, no physical training. Oh, you mighty hero, you took down the defenceless. David is using a sarcastic tone here. It would be like me boasting in winning an arm wrestle against Jethro, who just turned one. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, he is pretty tough. He is pretty tough. But it's just crazy. Doug is boasting about taking down the 85 defenceless priests. Now it's quite likely that this terrible act that Doug did do meant that he became famous amongst the Edomites or infamous amongst the Israelites. The boasting, the concept of boasting really speaks about self-satisfaction. The word translated boast here means to praise oneself. The glory is going to oneself. This psalm speaks of the confidence that Doug had in himself 
and in his own actions. Where does Doug's confidence come from? Himself. What he does. Where is his strength? The evidence is found in what he boasts in. Now, if, we th- if you're thinking about oneself, it's, uh, you think, might be thinking about how clever you are for what you've achieved. You're absorbed in your own self-importance, so confident in your ability to control, being proud. The picture painted here in Psalm is that Doug is boasting to bring glory to himself through the tongue, through the use of the tongue. And we have a metaphor here of a sharpened razor. Now a sharpened razor can serve a good purpose. It can serve a good purpose in a nice clean shave, but it can also easily slice and cut through if not handled well. Our tongues can do good or evil depending on how they're wielded. The tongue has communicated some of the most beautiful and destructive thoughts throughout history. It was through words that God chose to create the world. The tongue has proclaimed great events. It is through the tongue that wars have started and that wars have finished. Nations have risen and have fallen. The name of Jesus has been proclaimed by many tongues. But many have also used their tongues to blaspheme his name, to incite violence or to cause harm. Other tongues have been used to promote peace and to give direction. Over 17 of the 31 proverbs in the Old Testament refer to the mouth or the tongue. Friends, this itself speaks of the importance that we should place on the tongue and its use. James in James 3 reminds us that the tongue is a small part of the body but it makes great boasts. It goes on to say, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole courses of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Doug's deceitful tongue led to much destruction, which he boasts in. Friends, our mouth is an indicator of what is happening in our hearts. The way we use our tongues demonstrates what motivates us. You may use your tongue like a sharpened razor, to get what you want. Doug did this, why? Because he loved evil. You love causing harm, deceit. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than truth, Doug, because it serves your purposes. Doug's confidence was in himself, in what he had done. His motivation was selfish because he loved evil rather than truth. Now let's pause and think about our own tongues. Do we use our tongues to build others up or to tear them down? Do we use them to confidently speak about the Lord and what he has done or about ourselves and what we do? 
while we might not be able to relate to Doug's deadly deeds, the sad reality is that many of us can relate to, at one time or another, boasting in our own achievements, our own actions, our own situations, and doing it out of a motivation that brings glory to ourselves and not to the Lord. In Corinthians, Paul says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one of whom the Lord commends. This is not painting a very nice picture for us of Doug. A boastful, deceitful, destructive, full of falsehood, harmful, lover of evil, who is a disgrace in the eyes of the Lord. Now remember this is a song. There's a lot of exaggeration here that David is putting in to emphasise his point of the wickedness that is there. It's not the kind of positive comments that, or recommendations you'd like to see on your Facebook page. There is a clear emphasis here in the first half of the psalm on words, their use and their destructive power when used for selfish purposes. Doug wanted to bring David down to elevate himself. So what's David's response to this? As we read on, we can see where David's confidence lies. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The response to all of this arrogant falsehood, destruction, deception is judgment. Harsh judgment. Doug's confidence in himself leads to everlasting separation and ruin. The language here is emotive, it is strong. These are violent verbs. Snatch you up, pluck you from your tent, uproot you from the land of living. Doug, you have brought death and unjust judgment on the innocent and now death and just judgment is coming for you. The consequence of your actions will be and are everlasting. The wicked will be uprooted. They will be torn out. Now, I'm not much of a gardener, but I know that most plants need to be rooted into something to survive. A plant being ripped from the soil, being ripped from that which holds it, which sustains it, which is what we see here in verse 7. It's being ripped from its stronghold. For Doug, that was his wealth. That was controlling others. His confidence was in himself. But he's being uprooted. He's being ripped. Now this serves not only as a consequence for Doug, but also as an example to others. We read on, the righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you saying, here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong from destroying others. The righteous will see, they will fear and they will laugh. They will see the folly, the folly of dependence on self, the foolishness of confidence in self. The wicked boaster fears the laughter of others. 
It's the admission of the finite nature of his stronghold. The reality of judgment, which we see here, culminates in everlasting ruin. Now the confident comparison, shifting from Doug to Dave, from the wicked to the righteous, where is Dave's confidence? Verse 8, But I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. A flourishing olive tree is quite a contrast to an uprooted weed. The picture of an olive tree here is deliberate. It's painting a stark contrast to the uprooting from before. There is an abundance here, strength. An olive tree is the longest of living trees. Amongst the longest of living trees, olive trees were also an important part of the economy of the time, giving oils, medicine, food. That's not just an olive tree, it's a flourishing olive tree, one planted in the house of God. Confident, strength and security in God's presence. Other passages also use this same metaphor of a flourishing tree as a symbol of blessing for the righteous. Psalm 1, as we read earlier, for example, where we see the picture of a healthy tree is used to describe the righteousness. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield fruit in season. Dave's confidence is where? It's in the Lord. He confidently emphasises his trust in God's unfailing love. In light, even though there's been this butchery in the town of Nod. Even though he was on the run from King Saul for his very life. He was still able to be confident and trust in God's unfailing love. David's confidence leads to everlasting security. Not just security in the here and now, but security forever. His confidence then overflows in praise. It's the confidence that leads David to respond in praise and thanksgiving, which rounds out our psalm. For what you have done, I will praise you. In the presence of your faithful people, and I will hope in your name, for your name is good. Not what I have done, for what you have done, I will praise you. Doug's confidence was in what he had done. David's confidence was in what the Lord had done. His hope was not in himself, not in his abilities, not in his wealth, not in his circumstances. His confidence is in the Lord. What about your confidence? What about my confidence? What about our confidence? Are we boasting in our own abilities, in our wealth, in our position? Are we confident because of our circumstances? Where is our security? Where does the glory go? Does it go to God or does it come to us? What is our stronghold? What is my stronghold? What is your stronghold?
Is it the firm foundation of Christ or is it the unstable foundation of self? Friends, where our confidence lies has consequences. It has eternal consequences. Now, just like the story of Mary, Mary, quite contrary, was more about gardening and pretty ornaments, so too is this psalm about more than just Doug and Dave and about more than weeds and olive trees. It's a psalm that should cause us to pause and reflect. Dave's song here to the Lord acknowledges his feelings of anger and sadness about the injustice that was served out from Doug and Saul on the innocent. God is the audience of these angry words. When we are angry about the injustices which surround us, God should be the hearer of our angry words. This psalm is used to challenge and to control our potential, Dave's potential, sinful, angry thoughts and actions. It reminds us, it reminded him of where his confidence was, where our confidence lies. To remind us that while it may appear that injustice reigns, that evil has seemed to overcome, it has seemed to overcome us sometimes and it seems to overcome the world in which we live. This can remind us, we should be reminded, that God has a plan, one which we can be confident in. He has overcome, he has defeated, the victory has been won. Friends, we are not to overcome, be overcome by evil, but we are called to overcome evil with good. God is good. He is a just God and he judges rightly and he judges in his time. God deserves praise for his greatness and his goodness in spite of and even in the midst of our misery the injustice that we may feel or that we may be experiencing. We can hold on to hope in those times. We can hold on to the hope that we have, the knowledge that we have that just as the innocent priest was killed, the great high priest who was innocent, Jesus himself took the punishment for the sins of the world but he rose victorious. And if we believe in him and if we respond to that call, if we confess our sins, the wrongs, we can be confident that we will be forgiven. We can be confident that we will be planted like a flourishing olive tree, that the righteous know that their trust is in God, that their trust is not in themselves. And we know that just like we know in the story of David, that we will fail constantly. David failed constantly. But God won't fail. We can be confident in that. We can be confident in that. Let me conclude with a quote from Matthew Henry. There is nothing better to calm and quiet our spirits when disturbed and to keep us in the way of duty when tempted to use any crooked course for our relief than to hope 
and quietly wait for the salvation of our Lord. That we can be confident in. Let us pray. Father God, we do thank you for this psalm. Lord, in the midst of injustice, destruction, pain and sorrow, things that make us angry and upset, Lord, help us to share that with you and be reminded and confident of what the future holds because of what you have done, not because of what we do. In your precious name, amen.